blockchain 101 presentation, which I assume you were doing right before. And one of the uh, supposition was this idea of, um, you know, is this uh, basically a kind of a uh, solution looking for a problem? So, you know, essentially hammer looking for a nail. And that's a good question. I think it's, it's really important uh, for all of us to kind of interrogate these topics and, and not just drink the Kool-Aid or, or be hung up on, on, on the PR. And there's plenty of it right now, certainly for blockchain. I think perhaps more than almost any technology, especially if you look at the cryptocurrency market and, and DeFi and things like this, there's, there's a lot of noise. Um, however, I think we have to be kind of a lot more objective and, and really think, um, you know, where is the signal? Does it really apply? You know, are, are we just trying to kind of, um, you know, take something that is maybe more or less vaporware and, and, and make it seem more than what it is and conflate its utility? So that being said, so uh, just, I guess, three sections, three acts, uh, just a little bit of what I think of as um, blocking tackling and, and essentially some of the key principles that shape my thoughts and, and my company's thoughts. And a little bit about the reality, just, just alluding a little bit about signal and, and uh, substance was practical. Not everything, obviously, we could spend hours, uh, as example, we could spend hours just talking about consensus algorithms, uh, what's better for what situation, things like this. That is not the purpose for, for this. And I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not sure if, if everybody is, is what level of, of kind of understanding you already have. So I, I don't want to overstretch certain areas. So if I go too deep or, or you know, perhaps not deep enough, just feel free to ask. And then uh, lastly, and, and hopefully uh, addressing your, your kind of comment about getting into some of the use cases and some of my own background, particularly in healthcare, I will do a little bit of that in, in the use cases section. Okie doke. Uh, but something completely different first, uh, just paraphrasing a little Monty Python here. Um, so um, I was asked, just to kind of explain a little bit about my background and kind of how it is that I, I got here. I think it's important, particularly for you guys, you know, young folks, just maybe uh, earlier in your career to have a sense for, you know, there's a roadmap for, for most things, right? You know, um, I mean, we'd all have to be uh, Elon Musk day one, but I think even Elon had to go through a few hoops himself. So, um, you know, my, my career started you know, more or less in, in consulting and, and uh, really development, even before what I've listed here and, and really uh, a technologist by profession and then becoming an architect, uh, a software architect primarily uh, thereafter. So that, that was the first few years of my career. Then uh, for, for a good chunk after that, I had my own business, a company called Armedia, which is still around. My, my two, um, it was myself and two partners who started back in 2002. So almost 20 years ago, um, and it's still going. Uh, I had an exit a few years ago, which was you know great for for me and great for everybody else. It allowed me to move on to other things I was interested in, but, but the company is gone. So that was really kind of a you know very much learning uh, by the by the seat of the pants and and you know flying uh, building the engine as you fly the plane metaphor uh, certainly for a few years, but but learned a lot. Um, I do have an MBA, but to be honest with you guys. You know the the MBA in context of of doing a uh, entrepreneurship and running a tech startup, you know, it was not even a not even a kind of a tiny fraction of uh, you know what I really needed to know. And and as as the years went on, I think the, the applied MBA was way more useful. So uh, that was my experience anyway. Um, and then um, last six years or so, give or take, I've, I've been in the healthcare space uh, six seven years. Uh, as, as mentioned, I was at the CDC, I was the chief software architect there and, and really helped modernize the scientific application portfolio. Then I spent a couple of years um, in the, the pharma space, life sciences, building this technology called uh, Open Pharma to, to kind of coincide with the Open CDC work. Um, you know, but, but I worked for a private equity firm um, that owned this company called Sertara. And then, uh, you know, after a while, I decided that uh, really what I really wanted to do was, was to have much more control uh, over my own, you know, decisions and, and where we want to go and, and really being a product development business again. So, so really kind of going back full time to Acor, which is a company I started in 2015 and there's some machine learning and AI type of work and, and predictive analytics, you know, for a couple of years, but then really 
as of um, mid uh, or, or late 2019, we've been very much focused on what we do now, which is building software. Um, you know, in, in my mind, software needs to be usable first and foremost. Uh, I noticed that one of the, um, uh, I guess the uh, um, parts of your, your course and one of the classes you had, if you like, was all about UX, UI and, and human-centered design. So very much, I think it's very, very appropriate because end of the day, the technology is useless unless it's adopted and it won't be adopted unless people actually know how to use it. And it's more than just a UI, you know, it's, it's, it's really all about understanding, um, you know, who are your users, what is the context? So we're very, very much big on that and very much think usability first. But then um, beyond that, it's, it's really um, open technologies, technologies that, that can be interoperable, modular, can, can interact with uh, in, in, a, in a highly heterogeneous uh, environment. Um, because it's, these days, really, there is no one vendor that's going to give you everything. Um, even within open source, there, there are many different software um, and, and technology stacks that, that you have to consider. And, and, and we're very much kind of believers in this, this idea of building open technologies. And then uh, last but not least is this idea of where it makes sense to use uh, blockchain. Because uh, you know, we think there's value in it and I'm gonna explain it as we go. So kind of who is ACOR? I think I've mentioned most of this already. Um, my partner Ben and I have been, we've, we've worked together on and off for about 11 years or so. So we're, you know, we kind of know how to work together and, and you know, I guess in many ways we complement each other. We're both quite technical. However, he's certainly more technical than I am now. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm more uh, business oriented uh, than he is. Uh, but, but nonetheless, we, we, I think we do a good job understanding each other and leading a team and, and also the, you know, just, just helping building the, uh, build our technologies and build the company up. All right, moving on. So act, act one, um, has anybody here heard of, I'm sure you have all heard of Moore's law. Has anyone heard of Eram's law? Okay, I, I suspect you haven't, but um, you know it's not really it's not a gym thing. I did not create it. Uh, it, it actually exists, uh, and it's, it's a literal reverse spelling uh, of more, right? So if you look here, uh, this um, red line, this is Moore's law. What, what it what it's really all about is that as um, you know, as time has gone on technologies got faster and cheaper. And what that gives you essentially is, is the ability to get uh, return on investment in a short time and then help drive productivity. So that's, that's kind of what you see here. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to uh, this blue line represents um, basically productivity for research and development in, in pharma, though unfortunately is, is somewhat representative of many other areas of healthcare, it's not just for drug discovery. So as you can see, it's almost exactly the literal opposite of more, hence Iran. Um, and this is the big issue, right? This, this is a, so this is not over a course of a year or two, this is over a course of about 60 years. Um, and, and we've seen the results. I, I think, um, you know, notwithstanding what's, what's happened with COVID vaccination, which was certainly an exception in, in almost every way um, to, uh, to what we have seen, uh, this blue line has been predominant in, in life sciences. So what we see really is, is this opportunity. And it's not just like we as in myself, I think that there are a number of folks in this space and, and hopefully people like yourselves, that there's an opportunity here. Um, tapping into essentially emerging technologies and, and, and technologies that, that really we see in, a, in kind of a pervasive way, at least for being used in, in, uh, in the context of consumers. So mobile technologies, IOTs, wearables, uh, machine learning, uh, you know, which is more on the business side and as well as distributed ledger technologies. So, so what we think is, is that by tapping into some of these um, and, and then putting in context of, of healthcare, we're able to start to address this, this line and not necessarily reverse it completely, but certainly correct it. Uh, and that's really where we see our value. So that's, that's one of the key principles that we have this idea of more versus um, um, Iran law. So yeah, again, this is along the same lines. If you look at the healthcare industry, um, on the left, this is the amount of money we're spending. You, you would think it would look like this Adonis, you know, of, of a stiletto, very healthy and you know in great shape, given the amount of money that's spent. 
Unfortunately, the results are what you see on the right-hand side. It's, it's really broken. Uh, it's extremely wasteful. I know you guys are, are you know, looking at this, so I'm, I'm not going to belabor you with, or bore you with statistics, but there, there are loads and loads of different um, reference points for this that, that you, can, you can kind of look up yourself and, and, and basically um, validate what I'm saying is, is, is not made up, right? It's not really fake news, unfortunately. Um, and, and we're seeing it, I think we, we saw it, uh, we've seen it with COVID-19 in, in context of lives lost, you know, it really didn't have to be this bad, right? And, and of course there's some other elements than, than the broken healthcare um, industry. Uh, but but uh, certainly that was an element of it. I think certainly politics and other things are into it as well. So I like this comment, uh, this, this little quote from Warren Buffett, uh, you may know a few years ago, I think it was 2018 in January, um, Amazon, JP Morgan and um, uh, Warren Buffett, um, they basically got together. They, they started this um, health outfit called Haven. And, and really the, the comment was that, you know, healthcare is a hungry tapeworm on the American economy. So, I mean, that's just looking at it from an economy perspective, but I think having been in it, you know, from almost every angle now, uh, working with, with healthcare office such as Mayo last year, a lot of work last year, uh, of course, with the CDC and continuing and, and working with some of the states uh, and in the pharma, you know, I, I can attest to you that there's a significant human impact to this too. It's not just about the economy. Okay, so um, like I mentioned to you guys at the beginning, I'm, I'm really a software person and, and technologist by profession. So what was important is that um, blockchain, you know, I, I, again, I'm not going to go through all of this right now. I don't think it's, this is a software development class, but, but I think it's important to have context. So this is a, a blog I wrote when I was at the CDC and we actually built this. This is the, if you like, the contextual blueprint for OpenCDC. But blockchain really is just one playground in the theme park, right? This is the way I, I visualize it. So, so imagine if you will, you're going to Six Flags, you know, you, you pay your, you go to the turnstiles, you, you pay your $59, you, you get a wristband for the day that allows you to go up and down the park as you wish. But your experience is highly contextual to what you wanna do. So if I'm going to a turnstiles here, uh, and have a family uh, you know, with two small children, you know, most likely I'm not gonna be going you know, to the Goliath first, right? Maybe I'll make my way to the lake. Maybe I go you know, find uh, you know, like some of the, the, the children rides. Maybe I'm, I'm not hungry, I'm gonna get some food. I'm gonna go. So th that experience is different than, than you know, five teenagers going in, right? The, the teenagers may straight away go you know, to the Goliath and, and go to the racetrack and things like this. But what's important though, is that even though some experience, you know, these playgrounds are different, you have common walking trails. You know, you have a common monorail, you have common restaurants, you have, you have common um, security guards and, and a color scheme and things like this. And I think what's, what's very, very important, you know, and this is, again, this is really what we're seeing in, in modern software development is that you can build software in this way, right? Unfortunately in healthcare, what happens is that instead of having one theme park with many different playgrounds that are interconnected and, and you know, essentially complement each other and supplement each other, you, you wind up with many, many different theme parks. So they're, they're siloed, you know, so, so you have, for instance, your Epic theme park, which does your, you know, EHR, your electronic health record, but then you have an entirely different theme park when it comes to, for instance, uh, uh, administrative support or, or for, dealing with payers and or you know for your uh, clinical data and things like this so so th that is a fundamental issue and that's one of the things that we try to to address uh, both in terms of the underlying blueprint if you like as well as the technology that kind of go in there and and again i'm not going to go through all of this but this kind of gets into a lot of really this this idea that you know blockchain in this context is just one playground Right? And, and if that's the only thing you're fixated on, you're, you're never gonna build useful software, right? You know, and you're not gonna really innovate. So like some of the classes you, you guys have already had or, or some of the, um, you know, um, I, I don't know what, what you call it, parts of the class that you've already had, you, you probably kind of got into, like we talked about um, you know, visualizations, maybe you've done some analytics. Uh, you know, I, I know big data is perhaps part of it or machine learning is part of it. 
Uh, we talked about, um, yeah, here's machine learning. We talk about the user interface, the UX part, you know, and so on and so forth. So you can see some of that is already kind of, you know, here. And, and this is by no means, you know, this is and security, of course. This is by no means uh, representative of, of everything. This is just of, of some things. On the right-hand side, this is really to represent that, you know, in our lingo or in my lingo, this screen area is the functional area. Right, you know, functions that, that you see, such as public health data surveillance or, or transport mechanism, uh, transport messaging, and, and things like this. Uh, but then all these functions are supported by a blueprint layer, which is software, and then that is supported by what is called DevOps, which is really the, the glue that that makes building software in, in this way, in a, in a modular, interoperable way, actually practical. You know, if you do one or two of these, but not all three of them in synchronization you don't get to build proper software in this context. So again, this is just a little example. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna go through this. This idea of a microservices pattern is, is a common one. It's one that's used um, frequently these days and it works for internet scale technologies. But, but what was I think more interesting is the right-hand side that, that really what we, this, this is a real application we built at the CDC. But what you see is, is that we have a bunch of uh, kind of common components that are used in, in, for instance, HL7 utilities and, and things like this, which you guys are probably familiar with. It's a, it's a message transport for uh, health data. You know, plus a whole bunch of things that are very specific to this application, such as the download function or, or MySQL database and things like that. Okay, moving on. So um, now we're kind of getting to some of the blockchain stuff, but you know, again, I just, I think it's important to understand blockchain really is, is a mechanism to, um, to show movement of data or, or things that are happening, but basically what's called transactions. You know, a blockchain is, is, is a, and also blockchain is a, is a native digital technology. It's, it's not, there's no analog version of blockchain. Um, however, if, if you're going to use blockchain as, as example to, for instance, show a tamper-proof audit or, or ledger of, of, of a set of transactions, such as how Bitcoin does it for, for the Bitcoin cryptocurrency. Um, you need to first understand well, where is the data? Now, in, in the case of Bitcoin, really everything is, is native blockchain, but that's a very, very rare example. In almost every like realistic scenario, certainly in healthcare, the data is not on the blockchain. The data is somewhere else. The data is sitting on, um, on a, typically on an electronic health record system or you know, you're using the Cures Act and as an agent, you're, you're using a, a fire API, an API to retrieve that data, put it into a, like, a, um, like a health kit app or, or patient app and things like this. But anyway, um, to me, a very, very important concept is really this idea of data before blockchain. You really need to understand where is the data? What does it look like? So like we have it here, you know, where is it? You know, and, and you know, can I get to it? You know, are you blocked in some ways? Is there some kind of a you know, digital mechanism? You know, and then where's your data specifically, right? So you could have access to data, but that may not necessarily be data that you're provisioned to access uh, or, or is relevant to you. Can you trust the data, right? You know, where is the source? You know, and, and, and you know, how do you know that data hasn't been tampered with along the way? Which is actually a, kind of one of the key areas that we're gonna get into this idea of trust. Um, you know, and then what can you do with the data? Just because you have access to it and you know where it is and you can trust it, it doesn't necessarily mean you can do much with it. You may not be able to do, for instance, anything other than just um, like a read or, or, or read it as a PDF, which doesn't necessarily help you if you're trying to, you know, use a blockchain technology. And then, you know, other questions such as who is accessing data? Are they allowed to do so? You know, uh, and, and if so, then how do I make sure that that, that you know, that access remains true and, and people don't abuse it and things like this. So uh, I mentioned kind of this idea of trust. I think for most, you know, almost every use case, there may be one or two I'm unaware of, but every use case I've come across, the very first question of why blockchain, right, is this question of, of do you need to have trust? You know, and, and trust really is, is a, you know, it comes down to this idea that do you know or do you trust the people that the other parties with, with whom you're, you're, you're doing some kind of business or you're interacting. 
So as example, let's say that the 15 of us on, on this call here, you know, um, yeah, these days, I'm sure you guys have heard on, on the news, there's, there's a lot of hype about uh, what's called NFTs and non-fungible tokens. And, and then the tokens represent some kind of a digital asset or like a piece of art. So imagine, uh, uh, you know, if you will, that the 15 of us here, you know, we were Pokemon card traders, right? You know, Pokemon all of a sudden is, is back in fashion. We want to use blockchain. We could do it on the Bitcoin network if we wanted to or, or Ethereum, which is more common these days for this kind of purpose. Now, the question is, all right, do we really need to do this? Because if, if the 15 of us really know each other, if, if we're like family or, or if we see each other every day, is it really necessary for us to have a, you know this complicated, like immutable ledger for us to, to you know exchange Pokemon cards and, and the money and things like this? You know, I mean, you could argue yes. I would probably argue no, because the amount of effort and time and, and energy taken to do so may not be worth it for a group of 15 people doing this. However, if the 15 of us are here, but we're really, we're just virtual friends, like, like we are now, or, or like in my case, I just turned up and we're, we're kind of peers, but we really don't know each other. We don't trust each other. Now that's a different kind of equation. But also if you think, well, what if this thing takes off? What, what if we go from the 15 of us to like maybe 50 of us? What if we extend this to all of Georgetown? And then maybe we extend it to all of, I don't know, University of, of um, like, like sister universities and, and then across the US and so on. So now all of a sudden this idea of can you trust somebody is a very big question, right? So to me, why blockchain? The very first question that I wanna answer in my mind is, do I need to create trust where trust doesn't exist or I don't know people? And then really ultimately with blockchain because it's software, you know, you, I'm not, we're not going to say, look, you know, Dr. Chandra is a really good guy. We're going to trust him. We're, we're going to, every transaction is going to go through him because he's a really good guy. He is a good guy. But what, what if we go from the 15 of us to a thousand and now those other, you know, 985 people have no idea who Dr. Chandra is. So that's really where we're kind of coming to this idea of computational trust that we're relying on software, uh, software that that's really is, is cryptographic software that's uh, that you can interrogate, you can have, you have third party parties vet them, vet the, vet the software to ensure that what, what, what people say it does actually works. And then really you're trusting that software. So I think of it as computational trust. So to me, this is a starting point in a long winded way. That's the first question you have to answer. If you cannot really with 100% you know, conviction answer that you, you need computational trust, then probably you should not be thinking about blockchain to be honest, because then it's not really worth it. Um, so anyone heard this um, uh, song by Rockwell? I always feel like somebody's watching me. Yeah, right, so <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> we're gonna break into a, a little Rockwell song. Um, so turns out, you know, with, with blockchain, again, you guys know this, really if, if implemented correctly, and, and this is, this is, I'm a big fan of, of what is known as, as public uh, blockchain or, or public uh, distributed ledger technology, where essentially you have uh, many nodes um, and the nodes really contain the same information, not necessarily all at the same time, but, but you know, progressively, the same information about transactions. So what happens is really essentially you have many, many eyes on transactions. Uh, and I'm dumbing it down a little bit, but I think what you kind of get into is this idea of like what I think, you know, this, this idea of the Hawthorne effect, which is really that, that if you have, if you're being monitored to do something, so as example, you know, this, this is a common thing with developers. You know, if, if developers, you know, you give them a task and you're like, you know, and, and they give an estimate, it's gonna take three days and it's just level of effort. You know, if you kind of let it go as an architect, you know, I've seen this both ways and you kind of turn up on the third day and say, hey, was this done? chances are it wasn't really done, you know, or it wasn't done well, or, or, or you know, you kind of wind up with something that, that you, it's really not repeatable. However, if you have monitors, and not to be too big brothery about it, but if you have monitors, and if you can observe people, what, what tends to happen with the Hawthorne effect is that you, you're essentially, you're, you're, you kind of put a social lens on, on, or on their behavior, and they tend to actually do what they say they're doing, or they're supposed to do. So all to say, I kind of feel like with, 
you know, with, with blockchain, if, if implemented correctly, with this immutable ledger and all these nodes capturing the transactions, you kind of have a sense of the Hawthorne effect happening, which, which then what, what it does is that in many ways, it, it kind of, um, it promotes good behavior. It promotes, you know, the good actors and, and the value created by good actors and also weeds out the bad ones. And that's what we've seen. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, the Bitcoin network has never been hacked, right? The exchange it had been, but the, but not the network and not the protocol. Of course, there's security things, and, and there's this whole idea of of the costs of of you know going back to to um, like the uh, Genesis uh, block and things like this. But but I'm just simplifying a little bit. Okay, um, so really, blockchain, you know, in many ways is plumbing. So imagine, if you will, you know, I'm 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 big on metaphors and, and pictures. I think it's, it's you know we need to kind of demystify some of these things. So imagine you got your kitchen and, and you have your, your bathroom and all of this. So the stuff that you use here, like, like the water coming from your faucet, that's really an application or, or in the kind of um, blockchain lingo, it's, it's a DAP, a distributed app, right? You know, so all these things, you see all the water that's going through here, but, but really what's happening underneath, underneath the tile, you know, all the, all the pipes and, and the, the plumbing and the heating and things like this, this is blockchain, this is the infrastructure. And there's, as you can see here, even with this low, you know, simple uh, kind of uh, kitchen example, there, there's multiple pipes, different lengths, uh, different widths, different, you know, capacities, and there's a heater and cold and hot and things like this. Same thing with blockchain, the infrastructure, it's not just one way of doing it, there's multiple ways. And, and, and ultimately one, one of the issues that we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit is, well, what if, you know, you have like different kinds of like different, you know, um, pump systems and, and uh, apologies here, and different pipelines and things like this, and they don't necessarily go into your faucet. How do you make it work? It's a legitimate question, and it's not one that's really easily answered right now in the blockchain space. Um, so we talked about computational trusts. So you know, what else is there? there there's plenty, right? And, and again, we could easily spend. You know, uh, we, we could honestly we could spend. Uh, like an entire course doing this. Uh, i give you an example. Um, I wrote myself and Ben, my, my partner um, at ACOR, we wrote a course for University of Georgia. Uh, where is it? Where, where's uh, uh, Tokus, right? Sorry, I was trying to find it. We, we wrote a course from the University of Georgia called Token Economics. It was a 16 week course that was taught for the first time January of last year, and, and it's got a four semester run. So we spent literally, you could spend literally an entire course just talking about token, uh, token economics, which is a critical component of, of building blockchain and this idea of kind of attributing value to who creates value or what I think of as, as value creation attribution. Anyway, I'm not going to go through all this. There's a lot though, but, but uh, this idea of like, is it public versus private? And I'm, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more because I think it's, it's perhaps relevant to you guys, and it's, I think it's certainly relevant when, you, when you're thinking global, when you're thinking public, public health or, or global health, things like this. Um, you know, and how, your topology for the networks and how many nodes you have. And I mentioned token manage, uh, token economics rather, uh, the various protocols and, and uh, the consensus algorithms that typically the protocols are typically based primarily on the consensus algorithm. As example, uh, Bitcoin is, is based on this. A consensus algorithm called proof of work, which is you know the mathematical challenge. There's a 10-minute delay be between you know the, the the solving of the challenge and and all the nodes being updated. So 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 that you know it, it's very um, you know it uses a lot of energy things like this. Um, this is kind of a like a, a concern du jour that people talk about with blockchain scaling. Though to be honest with you, I think most people who talk about scaling. Their, their understanding of, of, or their, you know, maybe the way to explain scaling is, is very kind of um, singular and, and, and not particularly nuanced. Uh, there, there, there's, there are lots of ways that you have to consider scaling. And, and a lot of it, honestly, has nothing to do with blockchain. It's, it's things that you're doing off the chain, right? So, and then that kind of goes into that software as a, as a theme park slide I was showing you guys a little bit earlier. Smart contracts and managing keys, private keys and identities, things like this. What is on the chain versus off the chain? Partial ownership, um, which by the way, this is again, uh, just a bookend this and, and the, the last point. 
it's actually one of the most interesting things about blockchain because as example, um, you know, that, that Pokemon example we're talking about, we could have a situation where the five of us partially own it, but we could also do that for a, for a house. Now imagine if, if five random people owned a house, legally right now, that would be incredibly painful to do. I mean, it's, it's, we would have to pay, you know, thousands of dollars to a lawyer to make that happen. Uh, and, and would probably, you know, require a fair amount of like exotic paperwork to make it happen. But it's really built into, um, it's built into blockchain. It's, it's one of the core things you can do, this idea of partial ownership. And, and even with the, with the NFTs, this, the, the non-fungible tokens that, that I described earlier, which is things that are unique. Non-fungible means that you can't exchange one token with another token. Even with that, there's this idea of, of partial non-fungible tokens so-called NFTX. But oh, anyway, not, not to digress too much, but, but there's a lot of really interesting concepts that allows you then to innovate, right? That, to do interesting things within, within healthcare. Um, so um, I mentioned really a lot of work that we do, almost all of it really is, is with public blockchains. Um, you know, and, and to me, it's, it's when I think of, of private or quote enterprise blockchains, most of the time in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, if it's private, which means there's a leader node and all of the nodes are known, why do I really need blockchain? You know, could I not just do that with a, with a portal and an extranet, right? And then, you know, because essentially that's really, you, you're adding the blockchain complexity, but you're not really getting transparency. You know, you, you still have a kind of a consortium model where five or six people get together, they all know each other, there are legal agreements between them. So anyway, the, the work that I do, that we do, is really largely with public um, distributed ledger technologies. And I think we talk about the technologies, the idea of a distributed database and all these things that we talk about, the consensus algorithm and so on. But to me, the, the two, and that's interesting, but the, the two other things that are really interesting are this idea of, of kind of value creation attribution, which means that you, know, you, you create value and, and you attribute it to whoever creates it. And it's this idea of culture of decentralization, which means that, look, we, we can do Uber in a decentralized way where we're not paying 30% to Uber the company, but we're, we're, we're essentially paying fractional fees to each other. But we could do Facebook, but we don't make Zuckerberg a multi-billionaire. We distribute the cost and, and, and the, the, the value kind of created amongst all of the people who are participating in it. That's fundamentally a different approach. Uh, you know, to, to what's, what's really happening right now with, with centralized computing. Um, there, is a, there, there is a way to bridge the two, right? You know, you, you could have a private DLT, as example, this is something that comes up quite a bit in, in my world, where you could say, look, you know, we have five hospitals who want to share administrative costs, uh, who want to share some resources, they want to share certifications, for instance, for their um, medical devices and things like this. Uh, and they don't need to be on, on the public DLT. There's exposure and, and things like this. Not that you would put that data on, on the public DLT. Okay, well and good, you're doing that. But what if, what if your patients or the regulators need to see some kind of transparency of, of certain transactions, not everything? So, so then this idea of a public DLT where you have the transparency. So it's possible that, and through a hybrid approach to basically have the best of both. Now, again, I'm not trying to trivialize it. This is not necessarily, not every technology will allow you to do this and it's not that straightforward, but it's definitely doable. And, and we're actually working on some of these things. Okay, moving on. So a little bit of matrix for you, you know, do you take the red pill and, and you know, kind of explode, you know, your mind or do you go blue and safe? So the reality is, you know, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're not really at either of these, right? Um, when it comes to cross interoperability, that's a, that's a really big issue because, you know, if I, if I, for instance, we do a lot of our work with, with a technology called Hedera. Say you guys are using um, Ethereum, right? Both of those are public DLTs. But if I'm creating a token in Hedera using the Hedera native cryptocurrency called HBAR, and you're doing it with, with, an, with an Ether using the ERC721 standard, they are not necessarily compatible. So if we were doing, going back to our Pokemon example, you know, if, if you know, Dr. Chandra is, is issuing a, um, an ERC721 token for his 
um, you know, his little group's worth of, of you know, the, the, the tokens for the Pokemon cards, and I'm doing it with, with HBARs, we have compatibility issues. So there, there are things you can do such as build off-chain APIs, which is something that we, we, we do a lot. Uh, use a public uh, kind of block, blockchain, if you like, or, or the DLT, just for the final transaction notification, not for all of the processing uh, and, and various other things, network of networks, hybrids, like we talk about exchanges. And there, there's like all these things I've kind of put in here are really still quite speculative. Like you may have heard of the Lightning Network, honestly, it's still largely vaporware, you know, um, for, for the people who are truly insiders in this, it's still not really there. And as a result, you know, when you do a Bitcoin transaction, so for instance, if, if you wanted to use Bitcoin as, as a means for payment, not, not as a holding asset, uh, and, and there was a pair of like, uh, I, I don't know, like Nike, Nike shoes they wanted to buy, if you, if you pay the equivalent of that, you know, in Bitcoin, you may have a 50 or $100 fee on top of the fee that you're paying, which would be insane, right? Nobody would want to do that. You know, that, that just doesn't make sense. And as a result, you wind up with Bitcoin being essentially just, just a holding asset. It becomes, you know, like gold 2.0. So all to say that there's still quite a bit to be done and, and not to digress into cryptocurrencies. Okay, so uh, a big issue, and I'm going to speed up a little bit because I want to Give you guys time to ask questions. A big issue for, for blockchain in general is this idea of identity management. Um, so we're kind of really in, in like number three right now, where we've gone from centralized and then identities federated to user-centric. User-centric is, for instance, if you take your your Facebook or your Google email and using it to, to log into different applications like Fitbit or, or whatever, that's user-centric. But but that's still there's still a central entity. So this idea of a self-sovereign identity or, or what's called um, distributed um, or decentralized ident identity DIDs is really blockchain based. However, it's, it's still really very immature and, and, and you know, there's no real, you know, like there is no implementation you could say, you know, is, is the winning implementation at this stage. But what I would say though is, is for people like yourselves, you know, who are innovating and interested in this is keep an eye on this because this is fundamentally a game changer. This takes control of your identity and gives it, puts it on your phone, most likely. Um, there's some obviously perils with that, but ultimately it's very different than Amazon or Facebook or, or Google essentially owning your identity or, or government, for example. Okay, so just kind of, I've already kind of mentioned all of this really, it's my like pragmatist road to blockchain. Basically know how to build software properly, make it interoperable, Really think about data. You have to, especially in healthcare, you have to de-silo data because it's, data is largely siloed in, in different systems and you know backend EHRs and things like this. And you have to find a way to de-silo that. Um, deploy through cloud. It it makes it a whole lot easier. I mean, like, but by, by factors a hundred easier to deploy through using modern cloud operations. Uh, you guys, I think, are already very familiar with this idea of usability. I think you need to really consider the use case, the business use case and the ROI, because I think the days of basically um, executives just giving you a check and saying, do a proof of concept, I think those days are over or largely over. I think now, you know, four or five years into this blockchain buzz and kind of hitting the trough of disillusionment, people want to see an ROI. And, and, and I'm a big believer in that myself. I think, you know, we all are kind of should be numbers oriented about this stuff. And, and should think upfront, like what is ROI? Because if we can't really justify it and articulate and come with a pro forma, then most likely we shouldn't be doing it. So, you know, again, I, I would say, consider early whether you wanna go private versus public and really think long-term, particularly around things like governance. Okay, is, is this, this approach you're taking, the private 15 person Pokemon group, you know, that's great for right now, but, but what if this thing becomes a thousand person global thing? Is, is that still gonna work? Are you gonna be able to govern it in the same way where, where we say, you know what, it's, it's always gonna be Jim as the leader. Does that, is that gonna make sense for you know, the, the, you know, the thousands of people who don't know who Jim is or don't trust him? Um, so this idea of game theory is really, it's all, tied to this, this token economics idea. And, and we could spend a lot of time talking about this. So honestly, we could spend 
I have at least one entire hour talking about this, but you, you got to think game theory because ultimately game theory is, is where you manifest this value creation idea, but also the security of the network. Um, what is on the chain versus off? Honestly, in the, in the world of healthcare, I would say the majority of data is off the chain. The majority of data is, is sitting on something that's not on the blockchain, it's not on the mainnet. You have references to it on, on the mainnet, but not on, you're not gonna have private data there. Uh, there's all kinds of HIPAA compliance and, and uh, personally identifiable information concerns and things like this. Um, you know, implement, again, I'm, I'm just thinking practically, you know, implement um, proof of transactions. That can be done very simply, it can be done right now. Uh, and then ultimately, um, you know, oops, sorry. Oh, uh, no, 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 sorry, I, I lost my, there we go, there we go. And ultimately go back and revisit your ROI and, and iterate on it. There's a question, or maybe I'm running out of time. Yes, uh, yeah, th yeah, thank you, Dr. Chandra. Yeah, return on investment is worth doing it. All right, moving on real quick. So uh, I'm just gonna quickly show you some use cases here. Um, this, this is, the work that we have done, my company has done, uh, Acor. So uh, we have, and, and again, if you're interested, I've spoken uh, publicly about most of these things on the internet. I think I'm on YouTube, you know, various places talking about almost every one of these things. So as example, we're working with the state of Alabama, have been for about a year and a half, actually almost two years now, uh, essentially doing um, kind of substance abuse tracking we use blockchain, we, we use very rich visualization, um, you know, to, to really bring it all together, make the data useful, usable, but also secure and trusted. Um, over the course of 2020, we actually, we were the second, I believe after Johns Hopkins, we were the second company that had a, like a rich uh, data, kind of a coronavirus tracking, um, uh, if you like tracker built. It, that was in like mid-February mid of last year, but we were the only company, I believe remain the only company where the data was actually anchored to blockchain. So we could show you where the data came from, who touched what, all to say that, that we could prove at any point in time to anyone that the data was not manipulated by us. Obviously we were not the, the primary data collector, the CBC or WHO were, but but from the moment we collected, uh, um, collected it all the way through every one of the, transformations to visualizations to, to aggregation, all those things, the data was never tampered with. You know, so uh, in the work that we did for the Mayo Clinic, we, we generated a national health ID. Um, you guys, I'm sure noticed that in the US, there is no national health ID, uh, which is a real issue. That's one of the reasons why it's very difficult to say, you know, uh, Jim Nasser on, on Epic is the same Jim Nasser on, on, on CERN or the same Jim Nasser on, on all script or whatever, right? And, and unfortunately, there's there's but probably for all of us, there's multiple records, medical records, and and ultimately this this idea of a blockchain-based national health idea, if, if adopted, it was adopted by Mayo, but not necessarily by the by the world yet. Um, it would allow us to essentially do patient matching very very easily, significantly lower costs. This, this is a very very big deal in the in the scheme of things. However, it's also very political. Um, uh, we also for the Mayo project and, and for ASC, we did temp-proof records of medical transactions. I'm going to show you a quick demo of that in a second. And, and then right now, we're actually doing a large-scale patient consent management using blockchain. In fact, specifically using non-fungible tokens on Hedera. So pretty much, very much state-of-the-art approach. Um, you know, we've done other things in healthcare too for agriculture tracking. Your, your basic track and trace use case here. For flight tracking in real time, we're doing a, uh, some project right now for NASA and, and secure content collaboration. We did a project with a news agency in Hong Kong for combating fake news and, and, and uh, journalist censorship as well. So this is, um, this is actually a live application that we built. It's really a kind of a white label application we built for Mayo, but adopted by Arizona State University uh, and if you're interested, uh, I did a talk on this in October of last year. So there's a whole hour's worth of, of this. So you can certainly look at it. But what you'll see here is that this app, this mobile app, you know, kind of walked a user through a kind of a COVID questionnaire uh, following the CDC protocol. Every time, every question that was answered, such as your temperature, it was 104 degrees. 
uh, 100.4 degrees rather. That answer was captured with, with a basic, with a, what we call a, a hash um, anchor or an encrypted reference on the blockchain, including the results that, that we offered all these results. And, uh, and, and this was all done through this technology, this so-called serverless technology that we built. But the net of it though is, is that we, and also we tie this, this national health ID, which is also generated through the blockchain. But we were able to basically, uh, if needed, we we're, were able to show every one of those transactions on a blockchain and we're able to reference back the actual data. So this really, this idea of full transparency about what we're doing. Looks like there's another question or a comment. Um, yes, we often see duplicate records. Absolutely. And that's unfortunately a very, as Dr. Chandler says, uh, that's a very common scenario. Uh, let me go back here. Oh, come on. Yeah, there's many times there's duplicate records, um, which also, if you have, if you have a tamper-proof record, um, or not a record, if you have a tamper-proof reference of a record, is very, very easy to show differences between what looks like duplicate data, because in our case, what, what we're doing, um, at least this is for the Mayo Clinic, is that every single transaction, even if it looks the same to a user, we're recording. So as an example, if you go and you open um, open a file on, on, on or open, open a patient record rather on, um, on the Mayo system that we built, that open well, that is basically a read action. That read action is recorded on a blockchain. If you go in there and, and then you then just um, close that and then open it again, that is a separate read transactions, the two separate ones, and we track them separately. Even though you didn't change the data, um, you know, we're able to track it extremely, like at the most discreet and atomic way. And again, we think these are the kind of things that help us become more accountable uh, in an overall um, kind of overall perspective. Uh, I, I mentioned this idea of a national health record. I'm not going to go through this algorithm, but also say we use blockchain for doing this. We generated this. I've kind of hidden the actual algorithm and, and the, 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 you know, how the, these are basically the keys that we use, but then ultimately the, uh, you know, you wind up with something that looks like this. That, that's what the record would look like or the right the number would look like. And it's based on, on some pretty serious math and, and using cryptography to get there. Um, so I mentioned the coronavirus tracker and again, you guys, if you're interested, you can look at it, but uh, uh, there. So I'm just gonna show you a little video here. This, this is uh, the work we're doing with the um, state of Alabama. And you kind of see how we're bringing health data from like siloed health data. This is in the, in the context of mortality from substance abuse as well as blockchain and all of them together. So I'm gonna shut up for a second. We may not be getting your sound, uh, so if you could talk it. Oh, talk sure, it. yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so basically I would, that screen just showed the actual, like what we call the um, uh, data analytics piece. And, and now I'm showing you a specific case. I just you know, click from there. And what you'll notice here is uh, obviously we, we masked out actual patient names, but you see there's a trust button. Uh, actually, let me, it would have been smarter. Given the context of this, let, let me actually show this here. Oh. Okay, so you see this trust button here. So what we have done is that every time this information has been synchronized or uploaded, we have recorded on a blockchain. Again, not the actual information, but a reference to it. And what we can do is basically on demand, click on this trust to verify that the information has not been changed or tampered. So, you know, and it's just another way, and we have the same thing for uh, kind of the file imports, uh, the same idea of, of, a, of a trust. So, so now we're combining here, and let me go back a little bit just to explain it. What we're combining here is, is lots of different data from different areas, from, you know, different silos and, you know, and, and kind of um, expressing it in a word cloud like this for cause of death. Obviously all this is public health data. Uh, by the way, none of this is public data. All of this is private data that, that is um, only accessible to um, 
to the medical examiner and coroners in, in Jefferson County in Alabama and, and some other folks, but certainly not public. So you can see we just taking all this different data. We're kind of going back to my point earlier about making the data useful and usable. We're, we're providing all kinds of different um, you know, charts and, and measures and, and all the, I can show this to you live if there's time later, but all of these things are highly interactive. Uh, so if I click, for instance, on kidney, everything changes and so on. But then ultimately we're able to go from here and click on a specific case, right? And the specific case takes you to this chart, which is now that's that specific case, shows you, you know, what the case information is. It was a blunt force injury to head due to motor vehicle collision. That's the cause of death, so on and so forth. And then ultimately, like I was showing, uh, this this idea that, that we have this anchor to a blockchain um, kind of, and again, you can kind of see right here at the bottom, we have specific like data stamps on it as well. But that, that's really kind of, to me, this is where, where the, going back to this question at the very beginning uh, of, is it a, you know, is it the solution looking for a problem or is it a, you know, hammer looking for a nail? You know, we think that really it's not because ultimately if you do this well, if you abstract the blockchain technology to what it's useful for, you can build very useful technologies that, that, that provide you a function that's got really nothing to do with blockchain, but you get the trust, you get that computational trust embedded and, and imputed. And that really takes a solution from something that's, that, you know, is, is nice and useful to something that can be really relied on and people can trust. And to us, that's, that's really kind of where we're trying to go. Um, and then you can kind of see here, again, these, these trust buttons are here for these specific file imports, which where you can, you can see on, on two different dates. Okay, so I'm gonna move forward. And, and I mentioned we have a whole bunch of other use cases as well. This uh, track and trace one, very, very similar. We're working with an outfit in Uganda. Uh, this is for agriculture track and trace and, and ultimately, um, you know, kind of produce that, that is uh, shipped and, and exported to, to Europe, especially vanilla and, and things like this. And we're doing exactly the same thing, just a different use case, uh, same, same product. Uh, that's all. I, I apologize for running a little bit long, but uh, hopefully this wasn't too too boring. We kind of uh, lost a little bit of uh, track of time, but uh, happy to take any questions.